This is where kindness lives. Nextdoor's global podcast, your one-stop shop for all things kind. Here's your host, Jenny Sager. Our guest today will bowl you over with kindness and wonder. How does an international cricketer release a song with a Bollywood megastar and go on to play a lead role in his own movie? Well, you know, that's the thing about former international cricketer Brett Lee. There's a lot more to him than bowling thunderbolts to opponents. You played international cricket for Australia and were considered one of the best fast bowlers of the generation that you were in, and this is why. 310 test wickets, 380 one-day wickets, and you did bowl stupidly fast. Now, I'm obviously American, so of course I had to do a little baseball comparison. So fast pitch in baseball is like 95 miles per hour. That would be like, okay, you're a pretty fast pitcher. You were pretty much above that all the time and really were kind of terrorizing people out there. (laughs) And I've got to point out this podcast is actually about kindness. So I'm like, what what are you doing here? You weren't that kind out there, were you? Well, it's thank you so much. Great to be on your podcast. But um, I almost look at myself as an actor. When I'm on the field, I'm a different person, that aggressive fast bowler. Off the field, I try to be the guy that I was just growing up from Mount Warrigal. So um, I try to separate the two. Well, you, you don't seem scary here today, so, so that's good. <laughs> so we do start this podcast by asking, what does kindness mean to you? So maybe go with the person not on the cricket field. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and it can happen on the cricket field too, but I think it's, it's the way that you're brought up. You know, I'm, I'm very close to my parents. I speak to mum and dad every single day, wherever I am in the world. We've been brought up to respect people and to be kind. And the thing that I always say to my children, um, and they've got great manners, and I think manners are, are so important, manners are free, but every time I drop off my little fella to uh, preschool or daycare, um, I say, have a great day, be kind. Mm. And that's my always my parting word because I don't care what you are in life as long as you're a good person. I think it's actually, it's probably harder being a bad person, I think. So yeah. just be kind and, you know, kindness will come back. It does. It takes more effort to be unkind, yeah, doesn't it? 100%. Yeah, 100%. Definitely. Is there someone in your life that stands out as someone that was really kind to you, whether recently or when you were growing up? Um, yeah, I've got a couple of mentors in my life and, um, you know, they're both in their eighties, but I guess it's just that love and, and commitment from our parents, I think. So yeah, definitely mum and dad will be the, 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 sort of the two people that spring to mind straight away about how, how kind they are. But also too, you know, you think about going through school and, you know, I was born on the South coast, two hours out of Sydney, had some wonderful teachers, probably didn't really appreciate the teachers when you're coming through school because you you know, there's a lot of things going on in your personal life, going through puberty and you're trying to find yourself in the world. But yeah, a lot of kind teachers and, and teachers I've actually caught up with post um, my career career and I just said to them, thank you so much for, for what they did and, and I guess instilling that part of my life which made me the person that I am today. Yeah, it's kind of teachers and parents you don't appreciate until you have your own kids, right? And then you go, yeah. oh, God, that was actually really, really They're actually great. pretty nice, yeah. yeah. And when you were growing up down there on the South Coast, did you always have the dream as a kid of playing cricket? You know, Jen, it's, it's weird because I knew when I was nine. Really? And when, when I say that, it, it might come across like cocky or arrogant. It's definitely not that. It's just, it's probably that inner confidence and that belief, but also the hunger. So... Coming from one of three boys, my older brother Shane first played for Australia before me. So to think that two boys in the family have achieved that dream to play for their country, because you got to realise too that to represent Australia in most sports, you got more chance to win the lottery. Yeah. So to do it twice in the family is pretty it's amazing. Crazy. But I just wanted it from the age of nine. So both brothers were better cricketers than <laughs> me, put together. 
And but I was the hungriest. I was the one that would never ever give up. Um, and that was instilled from my father. He was always the, you know, never played cricket in his life, never was the, the sporty person, but always had that mindset to just keep going, don't give up, don't let the opposition get you down, except when you have had a, a loss because that's important too, you know, and, and don't throw the towel in and don't think the whole world's against you, but appreciate when those good times happen too. And do you think that's something you're born with? Because I talk to my three boys about that all the time with sports and schoolwork. Like you've got to have that mm. hunger and that determination and the resilience, as you mentioned, to push through. Do you think that you're naturally born with that or can you learn kind of how to be that way? Oh, look, I think, I think a bit of both. I think yeah. you're obviously born with natural talent through whatever field it is. Uh, but it's it's how you're instructed from your parents, I think, and the people around you. Like, you know, I, I was always told that to hang around people that have got the same interests and the same beliefs. So, you know, you don't want to hang around that, that naughty boy at school that's going to make you do the, you know, the wrong things. And that's what I try and, I guess, teach my older son, who's 16, Preston, just to be around. He's got a real good group of friends. So it's how you fulfill that that inner belief of what you want to achieve in life, I guess. But yeah, it was from the age of nine. And I just, whatever I did from that age of nine was destined to that next little stepping stone uh, to try and achieve that that end dream. And that was play for Australia. And were you a fast bowler at the age of nine already? Yeah, because I sucked at batting yeah. and I, I couldn't bowl spin. <laughs> so I used to run in, just try and bowl at the stumps and... You know, you see a few stumps fly and you play against kids older than you and you see the whites in their eyes and they're scared and, and you're thinking, this is this is a bit of fun actually. <laughs> and then it becomes an obsession. And I was pretty obsessive with, you know, trying to be the best of my ability and, you know, worked really hard on my fitness and, and just love what I did. I did actually read somewhere that you were having trouble with your technique at one stage and you called on another legendary fast bowler, Dennis Lilly, yes. to help you out. Um, well, tell me about that and how that came about. So I got invited at the age of 16 to come up to uh, Hurstville. Yeah. Uh, so mum and dad drove me up two hours away. And so I was invited to go and attend a fast bowling camp from all around Australia. They picked, what, call it 20-odd fast bowlers, young, fast and up-and-coming bowlers. So here I am in front of my idol growing up, the big DK Lilly who played for Australia, 355 test wickets. I know his stats off by heart. <laughs> got the chance to meet the great man and just I was just like far out how good is this bloke and trying to run in and bowl rockets try and bowl as quick as I could and he pulled me aside at the end and said mate you're the quickest here but if you don't change your action within two years I reckon you'll break your back wow I was like okay thanks so it's all hard as a 16 year old take all that in, you know that information in and you know I was getting wickets on the south coast I thought I'm not going to change my action now and yeah. maybe stubborn maybe a little bit green so at the age of 18 I was playing for Mossman dive for a ball and fell snap my lower back and because I had that that incorrect action and if you want to use technical terms they call it hyperextension counter rotation or twisting and turning in layman's terms and imagine getting a school ruler excuse me and you you bend the school ruler Mm. you see a little white line come through that's a like a the start of what they call a pars fracture or like a hairline fracture and then it snaps through and that's what mine did so i called him up when i broke my back and got the number of uh the acb or cricket australia back then and said dennis it's brett lee you were right i was wrong now i'm ready to listen oh, God. and that formed our friendship and continues today 
Well, and he said often it's the smallest things that can make mm. the biggest difference, right? And I think that's true when you think about kindness as well, that small acts of kindness actually make a really big impact. And can you talk a little bit about that in your life where small things have actually driven a really big impact? Well, just the fact that he reached out and, you know, like with, with Cricket Australia, they had him on, on the books for a while, but then they, they couldn't sort of come to terms with, I guess, you know, him trying to get the payment that he needed, you know, because he's a, an absolute legend of the game. Mm. And he was doing this just to help out. And that that's the thing. So he saw a young fast bowler with the same ambitions and dreams as what he had as a kid and passed on his knowledge, which is the reason why now I pass on my knowledge to these young 16-year-olds coming through. But just the kindness out of his own heart, he found a way to, to allow me to chase that dream. And I remember on his 55th birthday... He's a bit of a wine connoisseur, <laughs> so I picked the best wine that I could find. And uh, I just said to him, mate, thank you so much for everything you've done for me over the years. And this is a little you know, token of gesture of my um, you know, love and support of what you have done and appreciation. And uh, we had a nice glass of red together. But, yeah, like, he, he, he definitely changed my trajectory uh, into that Australian cricket team. Well, your kids are pretty lucky. They've got you around to help them. Is there a fast bowler in the family yet? Well, my oldest son, uh, Preston, says he's a batting all-rounder, which is quite yeah. ironic. So generally you'll find if you've specialised in one particular field, and mine's fast bowling or area of, of cricket, generally the, the offspring will be the opposite. So we've got the great Sachin Tanduka, yeah, yeah. who arguably the best, uh, best batsman in the world. He's done some work with my son, Preston, with batting, <sighs> and his son's a bowler, and I've done some work with his son, so it's quite, good. Quite, quite ironic. Where kindness lives, we'll be back in a moment. Hey, you know what's really great for earning some extra cash? Nextdoor's for sale and free. Basically, it's where you go on and you can sell things that you have lying around the house. You can even swap them with neighbors, like household appliances, gardening items, pet supplies, furniture. You can really put anything on there. It's really simple. Just look around your house, see what you're not using anymore, and I bet somebody is going to want it in the neighborhood. And guess what? It also keeps waste out of the landfill and helps the environment, which is really, really awesome. And it's so easy to use. Just download the free Nextdoor app or go to nextdoor.com and start turning that trash into treasure right now. I do want to talk to you about India. We were actually talking before we started recording about how much time you spend in India. What have you noticed about community and kindness in India that's different to Australia or other places in the world? Because I do feel like it's, it's, and I've spent a lot of time there as Mm. well, like there is this unique sense of that importance of community and and family and kindness just through the culture there. Yeah, I went to India the first time, 1994. I think I was 17 on a uh, under-19s cricket tour, and I remember calling mum and dad and I just said this place is incredible and they're like what's what's in you like I said it's hot it's crowded it's noisy um it, it hits every single sense that you've got in your body but just these these people are so beautiful just the warmth the kindness the hospitality I still think they've got the best hospitality in 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 the world they will do whatever they can to please you and if they can't please you and you've you've been there um you you know they'll they'll do whatever they can to to try to get to that end point, but yeah, India's changed a lot probably too in the last twenty years. It's become a lot more westernized, but I still love the fact that they've held on to, you know, their their, their cultural influences too. You know, the girls still wearing the saris, the the guys wearing their kutas and stuff, and yeah, it's just just a phenomenal place. But the kindness that's what jumps out straight away. 
Are there things that you've learned about yourself or incorporated into your life from traveling and spending so much time there? Oh, look, I think it definitely makes you a better person. When when people see the best in you, uh, you, you often see the best in yourself as well. And that, that's that's sometimes hard. So, f- you know, for me being a, a professional athlete for 20-odd years, I always try to explain if you're lucky enough to play for your country, it's, it's like a merry-go-round. You can't get on and you're trying so hard, like all these other boys and girls in Australia, trying to get on this merry-go-round and you finally get on somehow and you've got to hang on. And you might hang on for one game, you might hang on for, for three years and I think for my case it was like 13 years for Australia. And then you get spat off, mm. you get thrown off this like, and it's almost like the cartoons when you shake your head, it's like, wow, what, what, what's now? So for me it was like getting into that, that sort of... Um, that state of mind where I knew that I had other things to, to fall back into. But like with India, that the fact that it taught me about how to be a better person and when you're on that merry-go-round to, to keep giving, keep giving back to people because, you know, when you're on tour, it can, it can be a selfish game. You know, you spend a lot of time in your room by yourself, you're out in the field, you try and do well for yourself, which will then help the team. But I, I was always, there's got to be more to life than just playing sports. So I've got other things I love doing and, Cricket wasn't always my first pick, but it was. I was very passionate about it. But um, it was always music first. How do you? And we're going to talk about that music in a second. But how do you get um, past that kind of loneliness and just looking after yourself when you're on when you're on tour and when you're traveling all the time? We've talked to some musicians, for example, about this, and it does. Yeah. Like you said, it does get really lonely out there. So how did you? And how do you still? Again, you're still traveling a lot. Like how do you be kind to yourself and kind of work through that? Look, I think it was the age of 21 where there was a little part of the jigsaw puzzle in my life that was missing. I didn't know what it was. So I was working so hard on my fitness. I was working really hard on other things. I had a full-time job away from sport. I was in menswear and I've I've still, you know, from the age of 17, I worked in menswear full-time whilst I was playing for Australia. And the guy that gave me my first job was still great mates today and still do work together. But I thought there's a part missing. And until I found music and I got a guitar, picked up a bass guitar and taught myself the bass and then acoustic, a bit of piano... And that was a little clincher. So when you're in your room by yourself and you're on tour and it's a eight-week tour of India and it, you know you, it might be tough cricket, your body's killing, it's hurting, um, the press might be against you, just lock the door, close the blinds and just play a couple of tunes and it might annoy the, you know, the neighbours but <laughs> makes makes me feel good inside to just to have a bit of a blowout and just sing a couple of tunes and maybe you know write like a few songs. But that was my, my way I could escape. That's it's amazing. I'm not sure my neighbors feel that way about my uh, nine year old playing the trumpet, but um, yeah, tough instrument. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, all right, let's let's take a little listen to something. I know I'm different. I'm not from here. I'm just another guy with blonde hair. Though it's hard to hide. I think I got you right. That's enough. <laughs> you don't lose all your um your listeners. Oh, all right, tell us a little bit about that. That is Brett singing on. Yes. You're the one for me. How'd that come about? What happened here? Are you still singing? Uh, 2006, we just come back from uh, cricket training, walking in, uh, where was I, Mahali up north. And this gentleman yelled out. So imagine when you're playing with the Australian cricket team in India, as you know, there's people everywhere, one point, what, five billion people. So walked in through the hotel foyer and there's fans there and they want autographs and stuff because the Australian cricket team are on tour and blah, blah, blah. 
this gentleman goes, Brett, he pulled me over and he goes, um, we're doing a collaboration with a very famous Indian singer who you would have never heard of heard of. Her name's Asha Boss. I said, of course I've heard of her. She's a legend. He's like, really? <laughs> He's like, okay, um, we'd love you to be involved. I said, well, because she's like the Aretha Franklin of India. I'm yeah. like, of course I want to be involved. I said, who's she working with and what's what's the collaboration and what are you trying to achieve? And they said, oh, you know, we're doing stuff with Sanjay Dutt and blah, blah, blah from Bollywood and this guy from Bollywood and Robbie Williams. I went, what, from England? They went, yeah, we're doing like a re, like a retake on Angels. I said, well, if Robbie's in, I'm in. Yeah, absolutely. What do I have to do? They said, come down to the studio tomorrow, just sing your guide vocal and that's it. So I took his details down. I said, look, I'm super keen. We're playing cricket in two days' time after sneak because we were in a bubble back then too. We weren't allowed to go out. I said, look, I'd have to sneak out because I didn't want to tell anyone I was going to go and do a music sort of song or, a, you know, a film clip or whatever. And I went upstairs, got my guitar, wrote this uh, that cheesy love song in 18 minutes, rang up the gentleman called Shamir Tendon, and I said, uh, I've got the song. He goes, what do you mean? I said, I just wrote a song. Let's hear it. So play the song. He goes, brilliant, done. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, what happens now? And he goes, well, come down. And so I went down and I put the, the track down and I, and I said, it'd be really cool if I sang the whole part in English up to the end and then me have a crack in, in Hindi at the end. And if Usher sang her whole part in Hindi and at the end she can have a go in English. He's like, brilliant. <laughs> so did the song. We had to win that next day because if we lost the next day the tour was over we go straight home i'm like we've got to win because i've got to go because there's talk about doing a film clip in because she was based in mumbai yeah so we won that did, next wait, day hold on did anyone on the team know no one had a clue was, no, okay all right. so i yeah, snuck yeah. out i yeah. like snuck out of the team hotel and if i would have got you know found i would have been probably kicked off the tour it wasn't through covid bubble it was just like a security bubble yeah so we won, we then go to Melbourne, I then sneak out again to go and do a film clip for two hours with Usher Bosley, and that was it, just did it for fun. Six weeks later, my manager at the time said, your song's debuted at number six in India, and I'm like, this is a G up, and then went to number one, I was like, no way. Oh my so God. my claim to fame is that I've got a number one song in India, cheesy, rubbish, horrendous love song I wrote in 18 minutes. But to go to the ground and play IPL and hear half of the crowd that where I was down on the side of the field singing Hamet Tumara Hun, Tumara Hira Hun, which means yes, I'm yours, I'll be yours forever. I, I laugh, I pinch myself and I just think, how the hell did this happen? Oh my gosh, when's part two coming out? Come on, we need a follow-up. Well, it's funny because <laughs> all my mates were sledging me going, that's a rubbish song, it's horrendous. I'm like, yeah, but they love it, you know? And well, how many it, number one hits have you got mucking around? Yeah, exactly. Well, and it did also lead to Unindian, the movie, didn't it? They kind of, yeah. Yeah, it did. So, look, I think with, with India, you know, the fact I've tried to learn a bit of the local language um, and that's just to be kind and polite and that's what, Obviously, what we're here for today is, is all about kindness and everything. And for me, if I'm a guest in their country, to learn a bit of the local language, to say thank you, to greet them, and then to do a song, get involved with Bollywood, do do a you know a film which was based in Australia but went <clears throat> over to India, the fact that you're actually, you know, you're trying to make an effort in, in their culture, that's when you get that love back. And I, I don't do it for any monetary reasons. It, it's fun. I do it. As I said, it's just it's organised cast when you go over there and it's just so much fun. 
Well, and I don't think, you know, this this is a global podcast. And so there are people listening in parts of the world where cricket is not enormous. And I think, you know, I'm a great example where when I was living in the U.S., I didn't really understand it until I was living in an apartment complex and there were a lot of Indian and Pakistanis yep. living there. And they hung signs all over the apartment complex. There was some big tournament or something on. And at like three o'clock in the morning when it was on in San Francisco time, they were like, I mean, it was so loud. They were just going all out. And I was like, what, what is the deal? Then I moved to Australia and I was right. like, oh, okay. Then I started traveling to India and Sri Lanka and whatever. And I, I think like people don't, that aren't familiar with it, don't necessarily understand like the gravity of cricket. And I mean, every taxi driver I had in India or Sri Lanka was like, oh, you live in Sydney? And then they would just be rambling off, you know, every yeah. single cricket star and stat you could imagine. It's like there's a real obsession, really. And they always know your stats. And as I said, I'm not a massive stats person. And for me, I wasn't playing for those those goals. It wasn't how many test wickets I took. It was about how, how much I could contribute to the team. But if you're in the street in downtown Mumbai... I guarantee you someone's going to know your stats better than you. Yep. So it's yeah, it's, it's very, very impressive. impressive. But I think there's also, I, I'd say, especially the Australian cricket team, there's a lot of cricketers that have done some amazing charity work mm. through those parts of the world as well, yourself included. Tell us a bit about music and, and some of the philanthropy that you've been involved with. with. Well, look, I think it's very important that if you keep going to a country and taking so much out of it, and I'm talking like experiences, um, great memories, great moments, you have to put back in. The obvious choice was a cricket academy, something to do with cricket. And I thought, yeah, look, cricket's fun. It's enjoyable, but music's my passion. I just happen to be better at cricket. So I thought, well, why not do something around the lines of music therapy? Because I know how much it's helped me through my life. When we said just a couple of minutes ago about you know learn, learning the acoustic guitar and getting you out of those little ruts or times when you're down or you're happy, whatever music can do. So I started music, M-E-W-S-I-C. It was for sick kids, so a play on words with the, the title. Uh, there was a lot of uh, kids who were struggling. They are on the farms and, you know, just the not the knowledge of the pesticides that they were using on the farms and kids, unfortunately, getting cancer at a young age and they'd bring them down to Mumbai and they'd give them the cancer treatment that they need, which is all well and good. But what happens when the parent comes down from the country, from the farm, to stay with their kids for treatment for six months? There's no dole. There's nothing that they can just get. Like the, the parents, unfortunately, their, their work suffers. They'll probably lose their job. They're not getting paid. They can't afford to stay anywhere. So what happens to the parents? So long story short, I thought I'll raise some money and to help out and tee up and do a, J, a JV with like St. Jude's Hospital and raise some money to, to look after the, the parents to stay there with their children and we'll get some um, music therapists. So we've got a lot of people from Australia that have donated their time. They've gone over to India and teach the kids how to play drums and guitar and bass and, and just built instruments for an hour a day. Take their mind off, you know, the hard, hard sort of slog they're going through with their uh, treatment. And you're going to keep working on that? That'll keep going? Yeah. yeah, look, it's obviously with COVID took a big hit with a lot of um, opportunities, I think, over in India and businesses and stuff, and, and music was the same. So it's it's ha- had a bit of a lull for two years, but definitely going to crank it back up because it's just, you know, I took my wife over there and went and saw these kids and played, played a couple of songs for them. And just to see when you get the guitar and you, and you play one chord and that beautiful big smile on their face pops up, and for that three mi- three three minutes of a, of a song or the hour that you're there playing playing music for them, they're not worried as as I mentioned about the treatment they're going through. So um, 
that's I, I actually probably get more of it than the kids because I, lo- I love doing it. So yeah, definitely want to crank that back up and looking forward to getting back over to Mumbai to do it. There's a lot more of Brett coming. In part two, we hear questions from next door neighbors and how a traumatic experience brought Brett and one of his best friends, Wiggle Greg Page, together on a neighborhood initiative. And don't forget, if you want to connect with your neighbors, download the Nextdoor app or go to nextdoor.com. 